So what's crazier than riding a, a fat, tired bike 135 miles across northern Minnesota in the dead of winter? How about 300 miles across the Arctic in Sweden uh, on foot? Welcome to Linky Land. <laughs> Today I am talking to... Paul Watkins and Tyler Schmoker on this episode of In Linky Land, a podcast about the power of creating and connecting on LinkedIn. My name is Tony Albrecht, and I'll tell you, this episode is, I was going to say it's like candy for me, um, where both of these gentlemen that I'm talking to are pretty wild. And I wanted to talk to them specifically because the content that they share on LinkedIn and then some of the conversations we've had over Zoom and, and on uh, in the DMs, um, they're inspiring. Um, where Tyler works in the security industry, but he shares a lot about climbing mountains and, and that sort of thing. And um, Paul is an Australian who was a pharmacist before pivoting. And he's now the rogue scholar where he's a keynote author of a, a fantastic book called lost and found. I genuinely recommend that uh, with much enthusiasm about um, a, an ultra he ran in Northern Canada up toward the Arctic circle in, uh, in the country where I now reside. Um, and our conversation today really is just uh, a blast for me where these are two guys I could, I could jabber with all day long. So without taking up more of your time to hear me jabber by myself, let's get to the episode. Do either of you have a hard stop on time? Nope. All right. We'll see how long we meander. I, I think Probably not try to make us go more than an hour and 15, I think. But I, I think... You don't want to do a Joe Rogan-esque four-hour marathon. <laughs> I I do want to. I want to, I actually want to do that with you guys. But I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to refrain, at least. I was actually... I was actually... Partly. I was thinking about something today, Tony. It's like, at one point, I wonder if Tony's going to get like a young, young Jamie type of setup so that you guys can go right to LinkedIn and talk about stuff that's going on. <laughs> what, who's, what's young Jamie? Young Jamie is the guy who pulls up Rogan's videos and stuff. Mm. Mm. Uh, I would love to have that sort of thing. I, the more I do this, it's turning into this rabbit hole where I'm now like seeing other opportunities for the Linky Land thing of like, I think this stupid fantasy league is gonna happen. Like I've <laughs> I've I've like I've taken a couple calls with a dude who has a startup that does fantasy leagues for whatever you want. And like the way I'm envisioning this is all right, so I think I'm starting a Patreon for the podcast. And it's gonna be like you know, like five bucks a month or something or whatever. But um, 
and it will and and the the perks will be incredible. They will just be they they will blow your socks off. But one of the perks of the thing is that the managers for the fantasy league come out of the Linky Land Patreon, and then those managers and I think a let's say a season is only going to be like a week long. Those managers pick like five creators to be on their team. And there's, there's some parameters around who you can choose where like you can't have any, you can only have one person who has more than like 75K. You have to have somebody who has less than like 3,000 in, in their network. Um, and then you track, you know, a few things, right? And, and then we create a week of live content where we're basically like using LinkedIn Live to like, have the draft um you can watch the draft and then like almost like sports center style of nightly updates of how it's going um it's it's so stupid it's such a it's it's clever though because people will have fomo if they're not in the patreon so then people will join the patreon right it's it's a flywheel where it's like um, and it's like, if you, if you win, then you can run it back. But like, you're like running through other people in like, and I mean, essentially then you can just rinse and repeat and keep mm-hmm. doing this, um, in a way where it, it all feeds into itself. I, the bottom line is I think it may be stupidly brilliant. Like, I think it may <laughs> actually be really effective. Um, what do you think? What do you, that's why I wanted to talk to you guys about whether or not you think that's. I, I think there's a lot of, I, I like the side comedic value to some of the things that happen on the platform. So I see it being a rich environment for that among yeah. other things, and you know, being able to comment on, on how the league is going and also to see some stack rankings. I, it'll be interesting to see how some of the the gurus and experts respond to that because it's pretty disruptive, right? That's sort of because Yeah, I think you'll get the people who are really involved in that are the people on LinkedIn who are really honestly themselves. They don't have that persona of this is my professional thing. They're the people who take the piss out of themselves on LinkedIn and have a good laugh about stuff because that's who they are and they'll find the comedic value in it and want to get involved anyway so i think you'll find the people who roll into this and love it are really genuine and their their personality and that will be exactly the same as what you see online that's what i'm aiming for and i want merch there's got to be merch (laughs) cool well hats t-shirts works what i i've got a call with the mavens of merch for next week to, to discuss no. precisely this. Cause as I was saying, the wonderful <clears throat> perks that come along with the Patreon, obviously there's merch involved in the Patreon. That's <laughs> LinkedIn jerseys. I can't wait. Uh, I it's like with this podcast where when I had the idea, I had, I stopped in my tracks on my run said it's, it's kind of a stupid idea, but it should already exist. The fact that this podcast doesn't exist is an oversight by somebody. Um, and I had to do it. And now I run into this other stuff where I'm like, 
And then I'm like live events, like figuring out how to start doing that. I'm like, it, it's snowballing to the mm-hmm. point where we're going to get to like Linky Land on Everest. We're going to be, we're going to be the first podcast team <laughs> to summit Mount Everest. And that's really why I wanted to bring the two of you gentlemen on. Um, so after that, I mean, we've been rolling for five minutes now, but yeah. I may as well introduce the two of you. Um, Tyler, <laughs> Paul, thank you for being here. Um, now that we've already started, let's circle back and <laughs> actually have you guys introduce yourselves, um, where you're coming from and what it is you care about and what you talk about uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, Tyler, you want to lead us off? Sure. So um, like a lot of other people in the LinkedIn space, I set up a profile probably 10 years ago. Uh, I don't know exactly when I set it up for sure, but I'm in that kind of decade range where I really didn't do much with it, accumulated some industry-based connections. And then eventually, you know, I was I was in a firm that was on the verge of being part of a a hostile takeover potentially or being acquired. So I decided that I needed to start to hedge my bets and diversify a little bit and get more active. So I took the normal progression of, of doing some reshares of, you know, the Harvard Business Review with my little hot takes on talk on top and then um, talking about things that I thought were really domain specific to the, the industry and not getting a whole bunch of engagement. And then eventually just essentially what I do today is talk about whatever I want to talk about and try and wrap that into some sort of a professional or personal development value and, and really kind of leaning more now towards fitness and, and also like adventure athletes and, and that type of thing and, and finding folks like Paul and others who are in the network and who are a, a vibrant little community. So that's me. And Paul. Yeah, I'm kind of different, I guess, in that I didn't sign up to LinkedIn ages ago. I'm relatively new. I've, I've been self-employed. I was just thinking through when Tyler was talking about his background. I've been self-employed since I was like 25 and I'm 47 now. And I've been self-employed doing all manner of things. Like you name it, I've, I've had a dip at it. But I've always been kind of buried in the work. And that concept of building a network outside of that wasn't super vital to me and what I was doing at the time. But as kind of my career has evolved and what I've done over the last few years, I've seen the value in having that kind of network. You know, I've been on all the social media platforms and that kind of stuff, but LinkedIn started to resonate much more with me in the last couple of years. So I resurrected, kind of got the, the profile up and running and had done that. And, and similar to Tyler, started to look for those people who really resonate and have been interesting for me and, and talk about the things I'm fascinated by. Um, what am I fascinated by? I love talking to people about their story. Like what, what's your internal narrative? How do they build that? How do they create that? And what's the value in that? So my work these days is centered around helping people build their story. I think if you have a stronger internal narrative, you get a stronger human, stronger human, you get better performance across the board in whatever it is you want to do. And I do that by looking at things like uh, we have a bit of philosophy of science-based tools. I talk a lot about adventure, about just getting out and touching grass and seeing the sun and doing stuff. Um, and that's what I really enjoy, not only just doing it, but actually you know, going out and helping other people find the tools to go and do that stuff as well. And that led me here talking to you guys, which, like I said at the start, was never on my bingo card, but here we are. What And it is, 
the focus that both of you bring to adventure. That is why I wanted to have this particular conversation. Um, Tyler, I want to circle back to something you said where uh, you know, your network's over 9,000 at this point. Uh, you were somebody I noticed fairly early on when I started paying attention to LinkedIn, uh, which would have been, I think we probably connected in uh, a little more than a year ago. I think, I think we connected in December, 2021. Um, and, um, you, you have a, a distinct approach where, you know, you're in a fairly, you're in a a relatively buttoned up industry, uh, a very, a relatively conservative industry, a, an industry where, you know, and I mean, me coming from law, similar background, there aren't very many people in your industry who are using it to talk about adventure or to talk about racing or to talk about the outdoors or our love of flannel, right? There, there just aren't that many people in, in these industries doing that. Um, you had mentioned that at some point you switched from doing the sharing the Harvard business review and, uh, to doing that, when about did that shift happen for you? I would say, so for all intents and purposes, I've been relatively active proactively for about the last two years. And I think where I'm, I think my trajectory was a little bit slower than a lot of folks who come onto the platform where after 90 days, they start to see some progress. I mean, I literally tanked for probably the first nine months that I was on the platform. Hmm. And um, so then, you know, I, I'm like, well, I, I really don't like writing about this stuff. And my colleagues really don't seem to care about it, but there seem to be people who care about things that I do. So I would say probably about the nine month to year mark, I just started posting about whatever I wanted to between fitness, outdoors, nature, um, personal and professional development with it through that lens. And from there, it started to resonate. And that's when I found that instead of writing to folks who I'm connected with that aren't going to engage me, just as a consequence of the industry, I started to find folks like you, like Paul and a lot of others who are into a lot of the same things and started to establish those relationships. So really about a year in is where I kind of made a bit of a divergence from what I've been doing. And, and so the last year has been super rewarding in that regard, as opposed to the, the first year that I was active. Right. And when you say that you were tanking for the first nine months, is that how long that you were sort of still operating from that playbook that we all get about how you're supposed to use LinkedIn? Yeah, ab absolutely. You know, starting with Harvard Business Review reshares with my clever little quip on the top of it, um, and then posting, you know, some domain specific stuff to the industry or around even generalized leadership, but it was, it was just so dry that stuff that wasn't going to resonate. And I didn't have enough momentum at the time to be able to put out some, I guess, serious stuff and, and have it be taken seriously. But now I can even delve into a little bit more of some of those, those brutally honest or, or pointed types of content. But because I, I think I've established some level of trust within the community, people take it for what it is. And they also understand my hot takes to things and that you know, there's a level of, of satire and, and sarcasm that's associated with it, but it's well-intended, right? Yeah. 
It's really interesting how you've you've done that. And my my working theory on this stuff, and I'm interested in your take. And Paul, I promise we're going to talk to you as well. You you aren't just here as a spectator, but um, with the business I'm building of you, know, it's based on the premise that more people from more industries are going to start showing up in in the way that we are here, right? That two years from now, what we're doing is going to have gone mainstream. Right? That is my belief. I've gone all in on it. I am I'm staking my family's future on it to some degree. So I, I hope I'm right. But one of the things that I talk to people about is when, when trying to expose them to the idea that, yeah, you've been talking about what you do for a living and that's fine, but expertise in that way tends to be pretty dry, right? It's, it's just not as interesting as other stuff you could say. If you mix in the sort of stuff that, that we all do with that stuff, you know, like kind of toggle, going from like 100% of the dry stuff and 0% of the personals, more personal stuff to like, let's say like, 75% in terms of the personal stuff. If you toggle it that way, you're going to get a lot more people to pay attention to your stuff. And also to your point about building the, the credibility and the reputation is that then when you want to talk about the other stuff, you're going to have more people see those posts because you've gained some traction as opposed to just hollering into the void, into the abyss where your, your posts get 200 views. Um, and also, like, people are more likely to hear what you have to say, because again, since you're getting more traction and more engagement, there's just something in our brain that says, oh, this person must be worth listening mm -hmm. to. So I'm, I'm interested in your take on, like, as you've gone along in doing this, have you gotten any more positive feedback or notice? from people in your industry? And yeah, I'll, I'll leave the question like that. Sure, so I think in the last 12 months, I did about a quarter million views from my industry specifically. And my engagement any, isn't anywhere around those numbers. However, because I've gained reach on the platform through talking about interesting things and interacting with a lot of people outside of my core industry, I now have that network reach. So if I decide to say something specific to my industry, my voice is absolutely heard. Everyone in the industry knows when I say something. And so it's interesting. There are some folks within the industry who will click me a like every now, now and then or a comment. And, and I'd like to think of it as you kind of you kind of start to learn who your friends are within the industry as opposed to maybe just colleagues or competitors. But even getting views from competitors and colleagues, I think, is, is a sincere form of recognition as well. And, and then also, you know, I get DMs or I'll get text messages from folks who say, I really love what you're doing. And they'll reference back to a specific piece of copy that I wrote on something saying, I really like that, even though they're not going to engage it directly. So I think it's just one of those things where similarly to, to you and, and what you're trying to do with the law, um, it's, it's just really early stage frontier, but if I can hold out, you know, 
I'll be a voice in my industry when it comes around. And, and even in fact, now there are, I would say a couple of, a handful of influencers, maybe five within our industry that aren't really influencers by LinkedIn standards, but in terms of engagement within the domain, they're acceptable people to like their things, right? Yeah. I'm kind of that guy that everybody knows about that's not really talking about it and maybe it's not acceptable yet, but all of those folks too know who I am and, and we have those dialogues as well. So I've just taken a different approach to kind of accelerate getting reach within the industry and eventually it'll normalize it so that other people will talk about things that are interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's well said. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to want to get into some wilder spaces, but Paul, I do want to touch on your trajectory since this is a podcast about how we all discover LinkedIn play and start to have so much fun with it. Um, so I've read your book, Lost and Found. I, I genuinely loved it. Like I genuinely really, I, I, am I allowed to say that? I think it's my favorite book of the like seven or eight that I've read by, by fellow Linky creators. Um, frankly, including absolutely my, say that it's totally okay. Okay, it's okay to say that. Yeah, I like it better than totally. my book. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I like yours better than mine. I think your book is genuinely great. Um, Thanks, man. In so in I learned that you know you were saying you've been self-employed from when you were 25, and so from your book, I know that you were like running a, a pharmacy, and then you were running more than one pharmacy, and and doing that deal, and now you're you're at this time where you have a lot of autonomy over your time and your attention. You're out there. You are in like Western Australia, right? Isn't that, I should have looked at a map to confirm, yeah. but aren't you? Southeastern. So I'm in Victoria, oh, which is kind of the Southeastern. I'm out on the coast. Well, <laughs> how, how far are you from Sydney? Uh, oh, a long way. I'm about three hours West of Melbourne. So, so okay. Southern Eastern right on the coast. So. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, see my, my Australian geography is just garbage, which is That's maybe acceptable. I need, this is, this is going to be, eh, I think episode 16 or 17. And somehow <laughs> this is the third episode featuring at least one Australian, which is kind of wild. I don't know yeah. what that says about yeah. me or my podcast, but, um, <laughs> but I guess what I want to know from you is what are you doing? Like, why are you here given that? You, <laughs> what are you doing here? You're, uh, I mean, you have your website, The Rogue Scholar, and you know, you're, you've got your book out. You're, uh, you do keynotes, right? You're a speaker in, in Australia. Um, and so I assume that, you know, this is part of your building your presence, building your reputation in a way that helps you do more of that work. But, um, but then my question was like, how many people from where you live and around you are around on LinkedIn? Because I, I would imagine that it's, it's not necessarily all that many. So interested in kind of how you came to be one of the wildest people on the platform. <laughs> It's, it's been a really interesting journey. Like you're right, I, I got on there because I wanted to expand my network. Like, yes, I'm a keynote speaker. That's primarily what I do. So you need exposure. You need people to understand what the hell it is you talk about in the first place. And am I interested in it? I'm going to book you and those kind of things. Um, 
And then I, I got onto the space and, and one of my early frustrations with it and, and what Tyler said really echoed with me before, it's, one, it's, it's really a slow burn when you're talking about something that you're passionate about that can sometimes be maybe an uncomfortable topic for people when you talk about not being motivated but being disciplined and the importance of getting out and doing hard things and those kind of things. When I first got onto LinkedIn, like all the successful posts to me looked like they were just posts about talking about how to structure content on LinkedIn, that was it. But no one was talking about how to actually have great content. It was all about here's how to say things so that people will engage versus you actually have to have something important to say first and how do you get that? Um, so I found that really frustrating because I'm like, unless I do, you know, if you write a post about, you know, how to build a carousel, you're killing it. But if you write something really poignant and deep about, you know, the importance of doing hard things or getting up early or doing whatever, people are like, no, I don't want to hear about it. Um, but then as you stay honest about what's important to you, you start to find that network of people. Like Tyler said, you come across these people who resonate and hear it. And that gives you the belief that, okay, I'm, I'm right here. I, I, there are people out there that want to hear what I've got to say and you learn from them and they learn from you. And then that network starts to grow. So for me, the original plan was I want to expand my network and get exposure. It's evolving very quickly into a platform that's allowed me to refine what it is I think I actually talk about and refine the things that are the topics that look like they need to be covered and how I communicate those things. And then I'm finding a network of people that I find really fascinating. I just want to see what they're doing and hear what they're talking about. And that helps me learn. Um, and then the whole expanding your network thing and trying to build your business, it's almost fallen off the primary and kind of come to the secondary. It's more about I'm using it as a tool to refine my craft by publishing every day, by talking every day, by researching and understanding what it is I want to put out there every day. So it's become really a, a tool to help me develop versus it's just an advertising platform. I'm out there waving my flag and trying to find people who want to book me. Um, I found the network more valuable now, just people I find really fascinating and that's helping me refine my craft. Mm. That's really well said. And Man, I'm trying to think back to when we we crossed paths and it was, I want to say it was about six months ago. And I was thinking that, yeah. Um, and, and in fact, Tony, you got me on Paul. You tagged Paul in something and I hadn't seen him before. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for that as well. Yeah, well, and I was going to bring that up because when I, somebody looped me in on Paul and I saw what he was doing and that there were like two people reacting and, <laughs> but like what he was doing was so meaty and I'm trying to remember, but like one of the, I think the first thing I saw from you, Paul was, I want to say it was like a snippet from a longer blog post. And I think it, it was along the lines of hard things, but I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but where it resonated with me so much that, and, and just like what I had seen about your story, just from like clicking through a little bit, I say, okay, now I know some dudes who, who really should be paying attention to this guy. Like this guy should be getting more eyeballs on what he's doing out here. And I, the, the debate about 
like what to produce and like what gets the attention. I mean, it's uh, bread and circuses, right? I mean, it's, and that's just, <laughs> that's the way of the world. Um, and I know it's, and that's one of the things that I'm, I'm interested to talk to you both about more. Um, but Paul, I mean, in prepping for this, I'm, I was kind of going through your stuff and you are gaining traction. And I should mm -hmm. say, I think your network is probably may end up being the smallest of anybody who ever appears on this show at like at the time you're on. I, I think it might be. I think you're at, you're at about 800 or so at this point. And yeah, I don't mean that. Yeah. I don't mean that as a slight, no, um, but but I'm I'm saying you're you are getting the point where now you're getting like double digits in reactions it and double digits terrible. in comments and you're getting the. Yeah, like the flywheel is moving and people are starting to pay attention. And you are somebody who, when you say something, like I'm genuinely interested to know what you're saying in large part because like, I know that you're going to be coming with something thoughtful and insightful and um, you know, like something that you put a lot of effort into. Well, thank you. Yeah, we did cross paths really early and I did appreciate you tagging a bunch of people and kind of bringing them in because it, it helps get attention. And I, you know, I, I remember you doing that quite clearly because I was really impressed going, wow, people do that here. Like that, that's a, like, you didn't have to read it. You didn't have to link, take the time to link other people in with me, but it really, you know, it's beneficial. And then you start to build that network of people who behave in that manner, which is, I found to be really important. Um, thank you for pointing out my massive following count too. That's brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but for me, it's like I haven't I haven't looked at the metrics for a long time because I'm like it it doesn't really matter at this point for someone of my size. Like if you're sitting there sweating every follower, it doesn't matter. My goal is make great content and put that out, and the rest should take care of itself. And that thing coming back to and like Tyler said as well, if you if you stick to knitting, going this is what's important to me. I'm going to talk about it. It may take longer to, to get the numbers that you see everyone else have. But the, the quality and the, the people you will attract will be different. It won't be a case of going, you know, you can gain the system. I can gain the system tomorrow and, you know, steal followers and, and put out a thousand connection requests. And it gets me a number, but the number doesn't actually help me. Like that, that's not actually going to make any difference into what I'm trying to achieve. So it's that, that whole thing of, you know, it's depth rather than breadth. I don't, you know, I, you have 10,000 people, that's great. But if nine and a half thousand of them were just clicks because we all wanted to connect and get the numbers up, did, did that actually help you? Versus I've got a thousand and these people are really engaged and we have these amazing conversations in comments and DMs and, and link ups and these kind of things. That's where all the value sits. Um, so for me, I'd, yeah, yes, I would love to have bigger numbers, but I don't look at the metrics. I have no idea what impressions I've got over the last six months or what have you. It's really about talk about the stuff you really want to talk about, make it really worthwhile, see who turns up, and they're your people and engage with them and then spread out from there because that's where all the magic happens. Yeah, now that resonates. And I, I bring up your total, not to, not as a knock on you, <laughs> but as a... Oh, no. as, uh, I mean, frankly, this part of this podcast, why it exists is to say, hey, if you're somebody who's struggling with getting the ball rolling on content or you're wanting to get more involved, 
here are some people who are farther along in the journey and you are farther Mm -hmm. along than the vast majority of people on the platform. Um, But who were like to Tyler's point when he was saying nine months of banging his head against the wall before anybody would pay Mm -hmm. attention. uh, That's all of us. Yeah. And I mean, where you are is where I was a year ago, but my, my stuff wasn't as good as yours. Like my, my stuff wasn't, wasn't nearly as good um, in a way that I was saying like, you're on your way and you are doing it in this really, really substantive way that, you know, I'm good on you. I mean, it's, it's excellent. And Tyler, you have, you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I I was just going to say that, you know, the level of polish and sophistication and also the grittiness of, of Paul's content is, is some of the best out there. And I very much respect him for that. Like I look at his content compared to mine. It's like, I feel like we should probably swap engagement a little bit. Right. So when I look at his stuff and I think I coined the term in a comment somewhere that, that Paul is the Sir Edmund Hillary to my Fred Becky, like I'm the dirtbag <laughs> climber and, and, and he's the statesman. Right. And, and so no. You know, where I can help to draw people into Paul's content too and, and see that the level of, of quality of content and also just the, the credentials and, and, and the accolades that he's gained as, as a consequence of his body of work is, are things that I aspire to. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a unique relationship that we have where, you know, I'm a little bit more established on the platform just mm-hmm. as a matter of timing, but you know, Paul's very much done some of those things in terms of like real world objectives on some of the peaks that he's climbed that I aspire to climb and how he approaches expeditions and, and how he's translated that into really polished content and not really dirt bag bootleg posts like I put out. So, so those are things that that I aspire to. And, and so it's just really cool how you can find those people come together in those, those intersections, right? Absolutely. And I, I also fall under the the category of dirtbag producers where <laughs> I, I mean, I refer to that as point of view stuff where you know, like my, my process, Tyler, I think probably looks similar to yours where, I mean, I've got my Trello board where I dump ideas and then I develop them over time, but that's only like maybe a third of my posts, maybe a quarter. Most of my posts mm. come from looking out the window and then having a line from a book come to mind and I connect Mm -hmm. the two and I put a question on it. I revise the hook and I press post, right? Like it's, it's like, it's, it's very much. And this is what I try to help people understand is that if you want to become the sort of person who generates a bunch of content where people can come to know, like, and trust you over time, but you have other things going on, the way to do that is to share your point of view, share your process, share what you're looking at right now and find something insightful or meaningful that you can efficiently communicate, you know, just showing your point of view and that resonates with people, right? And and that's- Yeah. I was just gonna say, Tony, I think that's really important in, in terms of particularly for people who are early in that journey, it can get distracting to go, how do I get the numbers? And to just produce the content that you think will get the numbers 
versus going, what is the content you really want to write and produce and, and publish? And just keep stacking that. And as, as Tyler said, you know, someone links you in and they go, hey, you might like this. And what do you do? Well, you go to their profile and you go back a few parts. You just start to see what the body of work looks like. So even though for me, it's a slower burn, I think there's a lot of value in going, stick to the content that you want to produce and put out in the world and let that body of work build. And over time, you get the flywheel rolling and then you get the numbers and then people look at it and they're not going, oh, I'm following you because everyone else followed you. I'm following you because I love what you're talking about or it resonated with me or it inspired me to go do this, that, or the other or think a different way or whatever it is. But just to, you know, stay in that lane that's really important to you. Don't get distracted by the shiny things and that will, that will build that body of work for you and that will become really valuable. Well, and one of the advantages that you have, Paul, I think you said you're 40, wait, are you, you're 47? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was, well, you were, when you won the 6633, you were, weren't you 42 at that point? 43? No, that was 2019. So I was whatever I was then, 44. Yeah. Okay. I, w- I was thinking you were, exactly. uh, I was thinking you were a few years younger, but okay. Um, when we're about to get into that. Um, but good you products, mate. Good products. That's all you need. That's it. And we, this is actually just going to be a half hour commercial for beard balm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you have, you have a, a distinct advantage over a lot of people where you came to this, I would say with a very distinct voice and, and kind of a fully formed idea because you were already, like you'd already done the book, you, you were already speaking, you already had these themes that you were really unpacking along with, I mean, a body of work out in the world that you're able to, to mine stuff from um, in a way that you, you're able to just kind of show up and, and get the reps in a way mm. that well, I guess I'm interested to know whether it hurts your feelings or whether you would have the issues that so many other people do that when you put stuff out there and it seems like nobody's paying attention, you know, so many people get really discouraged, right? And a, a lot of people quit. And so I'm interested in your take on that because I would think of you given the your your philosophy toward life based on what I know about you and your experience with doing really hard things posting on LinkedIn every day is not that hard regardless of whether people are paying attention to you so I'm, I'm interested in whether it that got in your head at all it did yeah it did and I think it's important to have that discussion as well so even for me who's got you know as you said, I've got a body of work that I can mind to bring content out I still got really frustrated because you, and, and I can honestly say in the last four weeks, twice, I've had to stop myself for like delete a post where I've looked, had a post come up in my feed that is like totally calorie free, word salad, pointless, lightweight stuff that's got massive engagement and some of the massive following to just repost it and go, this is like the laziest content that I've ever seen in my life. Like, you've got to be kidding me. But then you're like, 
does that progress the conversation of the platform? No, delete. Like it's frustrating because you go, you know, oh, you put your heart and soul into a piece and then you put it out and it's something you really believe in. And, you know, a small number of people go, that's really cool and you engage. And that does get frustrating because you you look at the other stuff and go, I, you could just produce the airy-fairy stuff if you've got the volume and got the numbers. So you just get the numbers to get the, the likes and the comments and away you go. And it's a thing of, you know, like I've always understood that the it's comments before content, like go out and engage. You've still got to produce the content, but the engagement is what really builds for you. But I often struggle going, I know, you know, they say you should put up how many comments a day. I can't do that. Like, I'd happily put out X number of comments a day if I had X number of valuable pointing things to say about a post. Like I can't just comment on a post because you should comment. Wow, that's a really cool point of view. It's like, I want to comment because I want to add to the conversation. So mm -hmm. for me, it's a case of going, I have to put my ego in a box and put it over there and go, you can do the easy stuff and just smash out comments and smash out connection requests and do that. But that's not how you want to operate. So do it the hard way, do it the right way for you. Comment and make the comment really valuable so that when you do comment, people will actually read it and, and engage with it versus it just being word salads that you throw out all the time. Um, so yes, getting back to your original question, Tony, it does hurt, it's the ego, but you've got to put that aside and go, who are you trying to be? What's really important to you? You're building that body of work, stick to your knitting because over time people will value that and see that. And first of all, it's your, your network, but then people who you want to engage with because you want them to book you for work or engage for business, what have you, can see that and look at that and go, I can see the quality of the content, the integrity of your behaviour on the platform, and I can see that that would translate to everything you do. Right now you're the kind of person I want to engage with in the real world for the stuff that actually pays you to do things. Um, so, yeah, it's that, it's that balance of, you know, you can do the shiny, easy stuff. We can do it the hard way and the right way and really build. Mm. Tyler, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, so a couple of points. So, you know, I agree with Paul, particularly on the, the, the comment quota per day. I know that I don't leave as many contents or comments, excuse me, as, as a lot of creators do necessarily. But I like to think that when I do leave comments, they're impactful and sometimes I leave the one line legit comments, but I think that people in my network tend to understand that when they're getting that from me, it actually means something because I'm very sparing about how I put those things out there. Um, I'm a little bit more liberal with the like button, but there are so many, only so many hours in the day, but um, I will make a point to, to leave comments, you know, where there's something that there's been some real critical thought put into the message and and even in cases where it's maybe challenged my way of thinking. And then in some cases too, I'll even do a reshare, you know, knowing that reshares don't get the same type of engagement and it cuts into your posts from the day or, or whatever else. I don't care about that. So in fact, Paul had one recently that was absolutely brilliant. And, and so it, it's something that needed to, to be reshared. And then there was one recently, and I think um, I actually heard you riff about it in, in your AMA, Tony, um, about uh, Marcus Frick. And, and that's one that I reshared as well about he was doing that 70K trek on the bike. There are just certain things that are out there that people aren't doing, right? And, and so those are the types of things that need to be promoted. So in some cases, I would rather 
dig for those things and maybe not leave quite as many comments, but if I can bring something um, to the to the network that they might not otherwise see and highlight that, then that's a little bit, I guess, more important to me than, than gaming the algo by leaving 400 comments a day to ensure that I get 20,000 followers by next week. Um, but I was going to ask you a question then, Tony, kind of as, as you were posing it, and then, you know, Paul gave you some feedback as well, coming to the platform a little bit more established, like Paul, who's already a keynote, he's done TEDx, he's written a book, like you, who's had a career as an attorney, you, you've done some other creative endeavors, you're also an author. Um, and although I downplay it for myself, I've done some other things before I got here to LinkedIn. Do you guys ever find where there's a challenge with presenting things to the network, having been there and done that a little bit more than, you know, the 22 year old who's talking about positivity and life coaching? Um, and, and how do you do that in a way that it's not a flex, like, well, this guy just thinks he's better than everyone else, or he's talking about all these things that he's done there? Like, how do you guys package it? Or how do you feel about that? Where you're bringing a little bit more to the party and, and kind of kind of balancing that in a way that it's still going to resonate resonate across different demographics demographics and age groups and industries and all those types of things yeah i'm rubbish at that and it's a really good point my brother's in marketing um and he he brings me every day and he's like I read your post. It was great, but ask for the sale, man. For God's sake, like you know, you need to get out and actually promote and you know put posts up about what you do and your book and blah blah blah. And he's like, you are just rubbish at that. And I am. I just I don't feel comfortable doing that, so I don't do it a lot. And I probably should do more. Um, but it is that that tricky thing if you you do see that the twenty four year old life coach who's you know got the course and the ebook and the things and 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 they're pushing it and they you know appear to do quite well out of that versus going you know it is weird I do have that body of work but I feel really weird putting it out there and screaming that I've done this that or the other versus I'll just keep putting content out and hopefully people will notice me and eventually we'll get to that point um, and I think that's a skill that you have to have um, you have to have that that personality where you can promote yourself but there's a manner in which you do it and you've just got to find the way that you're comfortable in doing that. And that's got to fit in your style. So um, I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. I'm rubbish at it. I'm still trying to figure it out at you know, this stage. But you're right. It's an important part. But it's just it's finding to, to kind of, you know, thread the needle as to, to do it in a manner that works, but that you're also really comfortable with it. It comes across as genuine rather than, you know, the flashy hard sell. Oh, no. Maybe Tony's figured it out. I have. I have indeed. Oh. Um, and if you would like the answer, you will find it in my course, <laughs> which you, um, I, the way I, the way I approach that is it's just that idea that we're all on the same path. You know, we're, we're all there. Some of us are a little farther than others. Some of us are behind others. Um, but in my mentality is that we're all just out here trying to do the best we can. I am not better than anyone else out here. And I, I posted about this recently, how I felt, I ended up feeling bad when I got a comment on one of my, my posts about how I 
like got sick and, and somebody commented saying, it's nice to see this from somebody who comes across as super successful. And I, the idea that people would look at me and what I do and feel bad about themselves in some way of, you know, that the comparison game that social media is, right. It's just an inherent challenge with social media. Right. But it, it, it bugged me that somebody would look at me and think that, right. Is my, my motivation with what I'm doing. Um, like I do just try to share my journey, my struggles, but like in there, there is the thing of here, you like use the word flex, like there, yeah, like we all have a hustle. We all have something we're out here to do. And frankly, we all have things that we're trying to say, I'm better than most other people at doing this particular thing. Um, so it, there's, there's a question of whether you have humility or whether you understand humility, right? And if you do, and frankly, I would like to think that the three of us are three gentlemen who have some understanding of what humility looks like and knowing that that's a product of having had the shit kicked out of you at times, right? And, and that it's very possible that you get the shit kicked out of you by life tomorrow, right? That Likely, not possible, likely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I'm there's setting that, myself up for it. <laughs> Me too. Well, and that's, that's exactly <laughs> it, right? That, that, that actually, and I'm, I'm such a lightweight compared to the two of you. And I do want to get into this, but, but that just that idea that we like hard things are important and not just be so that we can flex on it, but so that we can challenge ourselves and that we can face hardship and difficulty in controlled circumstances where we can learn some things about what we're made of. You know, the hero's journey where we set out from the familiar, we do battle with whatever internal and external forces are out there. We gather some seed of insight, hopefully, and we return home to integrate that and hopefully become a better version of ourselves. And I guess that's my approach here. But when it, when it comes to the kids, and this, this came up in that answer to Marcus, where I was saying like Marcus, when he started writing, and he's, I mean, I, I think he's 28. I think he's, so he's, he's not a total kid. And he's done Peace Corps. He was in Zambia. He's, he's been through some stuff. Mm. Um, but like saying that, post a hundred times because over the course of those hundred times, your voice will start to emerge and you'll start to write and share in a way that you're not going to sound like everybody else, or you're not just going to be regurgitating what you read, you know, in an Eckhart Tolle book or in a James Clear book or in a Gary V book, right? Where you actually can start to filter the insights through your lens in a way that, okay, like now you're, you're showing your lived experience that people can, can latch onto. But I do like that kids are out there doing it. The kids in their twenties, mm -hmm. I, to me, that's creativity and action in a way that we need as many people as we can get like working out those muscles on the daily. So, but at, at the same time, it's, there's that pressure on social to be prescriptive or to, to, 
you know, like give advice in a way that I, it's just, I, it's kind of cute, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, One of the things that's helped me a lot though is early on, and you guys brought, Tony, you brought this up in a couple of episodes a few times now is not having that fear of building in public on the platform. And I think for me, that was a bit of an unlock early on, particularly when you're early in your career on LinkedIn, is to be not afraid just to hit publish and put it out and to, to build in public and let people see it. And some of it will be rubbish. Some of it just won't be at the level that you want it to be at. But for me, it's been really good to unlock that, that ego thing of going, just put content out, build and put content out, put it out and get the reps in and don't be afraid to actually evolve your voice in public. Because to be honest, early on for me, the public was very small. Like there's not a lot of people paying attention. So it didn't matter if you went, you put a post up and two days later, you went, that was not great. doesn't matter. So we'll just be better tomorrow. And that the platform for me, just being present and, and contributing has really helped me start to refine my voice, even about what I talk about and how I explain to other people what I talk about. Like if you'd asked me six months ago, you know, what do you talk about? I'd be like, sit down, it's a 40-minute presentation to tell you what I actually talk about versus being able to refine it now and go, can you tell me what you talk about in 60 seconds and why I should give a crap about it? Yeah, I can, but I can only do that because I've been putting content out there and getting a better understanding of what it is I want to say. So I think that's really important. If you're early in the journey, just build, just put it out there and put it out there and put it out there and you will, you will improve over time. You'll iterate and you'll get better and you'll get your reps in and, and away you go. Amen to that. Um, mm. All right, I want to talk about the races that you gentlemen have coming up where I think even the type of thing you're undertaking uh, is unusual. I'm guessing most people haven't even heard of this type of race. Uh, frankly, Paul, before reading your book, about the 6633 uh, Arctic Ultra. Like, I wasn't really familiar, like the Iditarod is the closest thing I, I had as a frame of reference. Um, so like basically you both have races on the calendar in, in the coming months that involve going across frozen landscapes for a long periods of time. So uh, tell us, which you're doing two different races. So describe for us what you're doing. Um, Paul, you want to lead off? Yeah, sure. So I'm off to um, finish Lapland in end of Feb, start of March. So we're heading up to a place called Overkalix and Jockfall up in uh, northern Sweden for a, a single stage uh, nonstop ultramarathon up there. So it's a 503-kilometer uh, ultra marathon, unsupported, back country, nothing out there. We're not coming for you. Like if you get stuck, call us and we'll say, that's great. We'll, we'll come by in a day or so and, and help you out. Um, and this is my jam. This is, I know this people are listening going, what, what is wrong with you? This is what my mother says. What is wrong with you? Like, where did you come from? Um, but it's kind of like, know what, know, you, know what you're good at. So if I do an ultra marathon at home here in Australia, run a 100 mile or a 100k race, like I'm a middle of the pack guy, like all day, every day. I'm never troubling the people at the front. But when it gets really long and complex and really cold, that appears to be my jam. <laughs> so I find those races and I go out and do them. Um, and I also do them 
for a personal reason, like I, I don't know them for fame. Like as you said, Tony, like no one's ever heard of the races I've done. None of them have any prize money. Like no one knows, heard of, seen. They're not going to get written about or anything of the sort. But I do them for where they take me. You go to these amazing places and see these amazing things. And as a human being, it is the best way I've found to completely and utterly decompress and then to dig all the way to the bottom of the well as a human and just see what's down there when you get there, like to push yourself all that way. And when you're completely spent, then we find out what else is there. That's why I love doing these things. So, yeah, so I'm heading there in March. So it's a 500K race. I literally put you on the start line. You've got a sled. There's you, You've got whatever you brought with you and you're dragging with you, and it's go. Um, and part of the application process was you had a Zoom interview with the, uh, the race director, and he's like, I need you to say this on video. You understand that if it all goes wrong and you get in the poop, it'll be at least a day before we come for you. Like, we don't do night rescues. It's snowmobile access only. It could be a while before we find you. Are you okay with that? Yeah, sure. Here's my money, and, and away we go. Uh, so that that's my major focus at the moment, athletically, is to get on that start line on the 5th of March and then drag my little sled out into the wilderness under the northern lights. It sounds really romantic and stuff, but it's an exercise in existential crisis, basically. Tyler, yours is, well, a little tame by comparison, but... <laughs> oh. So, That's so, rough. So, so relative relative to Paul, I'm a sprinter, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so I'm undertaking a race um, 28 days from now, 29 days from now. I think the gun goes off. It's in northern Minnesota, so a little bit of of home field advantage. I think we'll, we'll be driving up there. It'll be about six hours to International Falls, Minnesota, and so the race is. 135 miles from International Falls and, and it heads south along basically terrain that in the summertime is impassable. It's like northern woods marshland and in the wintertime it's groomed in snowmobile trails. And so there are a couple of different categories to this race. One is, is Paul's, Paul's style of racing where it's foot powered with you have your sled behind you and you have your harness and those types of things. Then there's also a ski division and then there's the, the fat tire bike division. So I'm entering it in the fat tire bike division. So really I took on this challenge. It's my first bicycle race of any kind ever. And I did it as a way to have an objective to train for in the off season from summer climbing, right? So I took that on and I kind of eased back and running as I've gotten a little bit older to conserve my knees. So I'm much more into cycling. So I decided I would procure a, a fat tire bike and submit my application to this race. and. And similarly to Paul, there's a little bit of a stringent um, application process. I didn't have to get on a Zoom call, but I didn't meet any of the qualifications for the race, at least as far as qualifying um, pre-races. So I put together my bio and said, well, I've done these things. I've climbed these peaks. I'm ex-military. I've been in the Hindu Kush. I've been in, on the Korean border, blah, 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 blah. So I sent in my resume along with my application as an exception. and they accepted it. I got word a few days later. So I decided, well, if they had enough faith to extend in me to give me an opportunity over folks who probably had qualifying events and were applying for this, just based on limited avail availability, I'm going to make a good go at training for this. So um, I've promoted that a little bit more on the platform. Similarly, there's no prize money involved. There's really no commercial benefit 
whatsoever, but I think there's professional benefit to it and just personal growth. And to Paul's point, you know, you peel the peel away those layers of the onion, you can, you can shed all of that ego and you really get to know yourself in, in those situations. And I think that there are a few other contexts, you know, outside of extreme adventure and, and maybe combat where you can really do those things. So there's something really fulfilling about that. So yeah, I'm a little bit less than a month out for that. And it'll be good to kind of put the training into practice. And because I've been banging on about it on the, the platform for the last two months, um, I'll probably share the satellite tracker information for people who want to see my little blip on the map. And I'm socially contracted to finishing now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that one's 135 miles. Paul, yours comes out to, let's say, 300 miles for those of us Americans who think in, in miles. Um, Tyler, how long is do you expect that one to take? I was trying to think of like how long... It, like, are, are you getting five miles an hour on that thing? So it really depends on conditions. There have been, so typically on the colder years, so the race is planned for the coldest day of the year in International Falls, Minnesota, which is the coldest city in the lower 48, right? So they purposely plan it to be cold. And the colder it is, the faster the trail is. So you can run high, higher tire pressure. It's more firm. But of course, if you get into like early spring and thawing, it can get really slow and the attrition rate really starts to go up as well. So the race itself has a 60 hour cutoff. Um, all things go well. Trail conditions are okay. I would like to be sub 20 hours. Gotcha. Right on. And uh, I have really appreciated your stuff that you're putting out there as you train for it. It's been, I found it uh, inspiring and sort of a kick in the pants uh, to me uh, about getting a race on the calendar. I, I like how you've been doing that. It's um, really cool. I've actually got quite a few DMs and comments from people saying, I signed up for this because I saw your stuff about this, or I'm going to sign up for this thing. And that's really rad. So kind of, you know, talking about our earlier point of how can you present things in a way that's not like a flex of I'm doing this stuff and, you know, yeah. I'm more exceptional than you, but really just I'm doing this thing and it's really hard, but I'm kind of a mid forties corporate guy and I can do it to where people are like, okay, within my frame of reference, maybe it's a 5k, maybe it's a half marathon, maybe it's a gym membership. So it's been a cool journey sharing some of that stuff, not to show everyone what I'm doing and how cool it is, but really stuff like this is doable. You just have to get started. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a tricky balance, isn't it? It's quite often the, it's, it's a bit of a hard product to sell when you're talking about things like doing hard things. Like it's not overly popular, but the people who need to hear it the most are often the people that probably won't engage with you anyway because they, they either they don't want to hear it or they do hear it and they go do something about it, but you probably won't hear about it or know that they've gone and done it and that you've, you've influenced them or just helped them take that step in that journey. Um, so I personally, I've often found that a bit of a lonely sell because you, it's a tough topic to talk to people about. It's super important and we know the value of it, but for other people to understand the value, they actually have to go and do the work and have the experience. And as you said earlier, Tony, quite often that means you're going to get kicked in the teeth a few times. So it is a bit of a hard sell and the people who do take it on board 
often won't know about. So you've just got to believe that you're doing the right thing and, and sending out that message and, and you'll reach someone who needed to hear it at that moment and do something with it. And, and you know, God knows where they'll go from there and, and take it and cha potentially change their whole life. Um, but it's, a, it's an interesting topic or field that would be your expertise in because it really is a, a weird style to try and manage. That's well said. And I, I have found both of you to be inspiring and kind of pushing me in a direction of taking a crack at something like that in the next couple of years in a way that I <clears throat> tell you now it's starting to get cold and starting to feel that, that like, you know, down around zero, you know, Fahrenheit and, you know, like getting, getting down there and like, yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe maybe I was a little premature and thinking I'm good with this, but um, so, so Tony, let me ask you, and maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll finagle you into a, a social contract here. Then, so oh, is, is there like <laughs> a is there a race or or an endeavor that that you'd like to undertake, particularly within the altar space? Right, I'm you're a guy that's doing a lot of different things, but you know, is is it hard rock or Western states or is it Leadville or like, what are you looking to do? Well, so actually I was messaging with Paul last week saying my next step is a 50 miler is I I've the longest I've done. I've done a couple 35 milers and my intention is to get a 100 under my belt. Um, but I think for this year, given my constraints, I think a 50 miler is, is on, so I'm, I'm like getting, I'm, I'm now looking, I'm looking at the calendar to, to put it on there. And there's also an, uh, I guess it's a mini Ironman. It's like a 70 mile total race it up by my house up here in Muskoka in Ontario in July. And I, I got a LinkedIn buddy, John Foreman, who's already registered for that. And he's kind of tempted me to get on there. So I'm seeing that I really don't like swimming though. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a fine swimmer. I just don't really like it. So yeah, it's a different skill set. Yeah. I'm just not a, not a huge fan, but like, I think those things are going to happen, but I do want to, like, I want to take a crack at what you guys are doing. Like, I think those, like particularly one that shows the Northern lights and that's on the bucket list for sure. I yeah, absolutely. I want to do that. So have you seen Nick Hannigan is really kind of scaled back from posting. He used to be fairly mm -hmm. frequent and now he's pretty pointed, but yeah. some of his last few posts have been about how he went from like when I first connected with him, he was just probably not starting to train distance running, but he was pre-marathon, mm -hmm. hadn't really done anything. And yeah. he went out, did a marathon and then he just pops up again. Yeah. I went and caught another weekend marathon, like same season. And then he went out and I think is either a 50 K or a 50 miler, but I'm confident that we're going to see him putting up hundred miler posts in the, in the mm -hmm. spring. So it's kind of cool how you can see that evolution. And I think you see the energy of people feed off other people who are in that space. Right. Well, and that's the, one of the things that I find so amazing about this platform is that like Nick attributes his doing that to engaging with like people like us, people who are out there talking, you know, like I was posting in July about getting back on the horse for a 35 miler 
And like, I, I posted a couple videos from being out on that trail and he, you know, he sent some really nice things about that. And I mean, that's part of why this podcast exists is that the, the power of, of those of us showing up, talking about the stuff we really care about, like the, the ability for that to touch somebody in a way that changes how they behave, that actually helps them take a chance on something that they otherwise probably wouldn't have. I mean, and it, I remain amazed that the, the world's dorkiest social media platform has proven to be that powerful. Yeah, Nick took it and he operationalized it, right? He he took he took social media inspiration and he operationalized it. Not only did he operationalize it, he repeated it in multiple evolutions just in a short period of time. So when I see stuff like that, like what Nick is doing, I'm so pumped up. Mm -hmm. It's and I'll tell you, I've I've appreciated the time you've sent me a couple messages being like. Hey, you want to go climb this mountain on this day? And, <laughs> son of a bitch. Out, out, like, of no, out of nowhere, as a matter of fact. Uh, and and I've had I've had to decline both the the invitations, unfortunately, but I look forward to the time when I take you up on one of those. Is it's I mean, it's exciting. Like when when you when I get that that DM, it's like, oh man, like that would like climbing a proper mountain, you know, and I just, I did my first 14,000 foot peak in Colorado in September, but like doing one of those, and I know you two gentlemen, I mean, we haven't even touched on the mountains you've climbed, but you've got between the two of you, I want to say you've got like eight to 10 really big ass mountains between you. Um, that's on my list of things where I'm like, I want to know that experience. I think once probably, probably an expedition, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or sprint. Paul does expeditions. I sprint. <laughs> <laughs> they all have their place. What I'd be interested to know from you guys, though, is like, this is something I've been thinking about for a while. It kind of comes back to Tony's point about not wanting to flex that, you know, we've done these races because we talk about these things and for a lot of people, it sounds really cool, but it's immediately unobtainable. Um, like one of the things I often quip about is the fact that like I've done some really ridiculous things, but I'm not an Olympian. I'm not an astronaut. You know, I'm a nerdy dad from a country town. So it's like you're normal and other people can do normal things. And I, I wonder often if there's a, I mean, there's a bank of people that are inspired by the stupid stuff we do and they want to go do it. But I think there might be a whole ocean of people around our age, particularly men, like in their mid forties and don't want to become a Navy SEAL. They're just terrified that they're going to wake up one day and realize their whole life's a four out of 10. And they just want to be a seven. They don't necessarily need to be a nine and a half. And I think there's probably a huge opportunity for people like us to uh, communicate what we do in a way that reaches those people to go, you don't have to do hundred miles or 300 miles in the snow you just need to go out and do some things that are hard for you now and move that marker and do it again next year and move that marker a little bit so that you're not terrified that you're just going to wake up and go, shit, is that it? Like I'm just, I'm nearly 50 and I just keep working for another 15, 20 years and we call it quits. Like I think there's a, a big group there that I'm, I think there's a value in trying to find those people and help them understand that you can move 
the dial appropriately for you. You don't have to become David Goggins. You can just become a better version of you and that's going to do the deal. Um, I don't know, I don't know how we find that, whether that's just me and it's only in my brain or, or what you guys think on that. I, I'll say in your book, I really like how you emphasize the nerdy dad piece in the intro. Is when I picked up the book, that wasn't clear to me, even from interacting with you, that like mm -hmm. that's who you that you actually were not an athletic guy, that you were mm -hmm. you were like a nerdy kid who did cross country because you weren't really athletic enough to no. to do the other stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was amazing to me, and um, I'm trying to think of. I, I don't know that I've even invited you to our unrationed group on LinkedIn. Tyler, I think you're in there. You invited me. Yeah, I'm in there. Yeah. Okay, okay. But yeah, I mean, this, so I've been working on this project with Evan Chastain and Josh Aranda, who, Josh, I was actually interested in getting on, on this podcast with us. Um, but he, today's his first day back from Pat leave. So I figured, you know, I'll get him on a different one. But, um, mm -hmm. but, it's a project around basically what healthy masculinity looks like in 2023 and, and what, you know, like how do we as men become better versions of ourselves um, in, in all these different ways in this context where uh, number one, there are a lot of societal forces at play that are, that are, I'm basically just causing tumult, right? There's there's a lot of a change happening very quickly. Uh, and then also where we're in this context that that I refer to as tribalistness. You know, like that's the word that that's kind of been shaping me for a decade now is how do we respond to this place of tribalistness in a way that we can, I mean, to me, it's try to compensate for that and start to build new structures or build new ways of providing context and providing meaning. And one of the things that we're doing with, the, I mean, we're calling the project, the wilds in the woods, but a piece of it is unrationed is from the climber, Mike Lebecki, who's got this saying, why ration passion. And our, our idea there is to start running sort of adventure retreats of sorts for men where we're just, you know, like executing on, as Tyler was saying, operationalizing the doing hard things and bringing men together in a way that we're, we're helping one another figure that out. Not as, not as an end in and of itself, but as a way of, you know, bringing those pearls back, you know, those, those things we discover out there in a way that might help move the needle a little bit and to in a way that we can avoid that that fear that you just referred to Paul the 4 out of 10 thing which I mean to be honest with you that's that's informed a lot of what I've done and like just that mm. fear that I'm going to wake up and I will have let my life pass without making the most of it is like I mean that's why I torched my career in 2013 for the first time and took a one-way ticket to Bangkok, um, mm. just like not wanting to, to do that. So that's, that's a bit of a rambling answer that, that actually doesn't answer the question, I think. You're welcome. Yeah, but it, it's interesting though, because you, you think about that and you have that discussion and you go, that doesn't sound like a very LinkedIn discussion to have. 
But then the platform is probably an ideal place to find those people because it's full of professionals who are often there because they're buried in that work life. So I think it comes back to that thing of being, bringing that authenticity of the thing that you're passionate about and letting that shine through and so that the people can find you and then tap into whatever it is you're delivering. Because yeah, as we said, there's probably a lot of people looking for that. And it's that balance of, again, the the loud voices on, on LinkedIn, and not, not loud in the terms of just flashy loud, but the people who connect and comment and all that, the creative, there, as, as we know, like the, the couple percent of LinkedIn. So there's that 90% of the ocean of LinkedIn out there that's just lurking and hiding around there. And they're the people you want to tap into to go, hey, this, this might be a benefit for you. This might be something you need to hear at this time in your life. So it often sounds like a, a non-LinkedIn thing to talk about, but the platform might actually be an ideal place to have those very discussions and bring that exact content. It doesn't all have to be about social media marketing and, and how to build the perfect post or hook or the, the Justin Welsh system or whatever it is. It's about bring the conversation that you want to have and find those people so they can hear what you need to talk about, whether it sounds very LinkedIn-y or not, it doesn't matter. And I think that's been something for me to try and get my head around to go, it doesn't have to be about posting or the professional career or whatever. It can be about the things that are important, be authentic with that and deliver it and the people will find it. And I would actually even take that a step further with respect to LinkedIn as the boring professional platform is that it creates a, a space that's the perfect Trojan horse to take people who are maybe on, on the leading edge of, of self-actualization in terms of finding balance in, in their personal pursuits and balancing that with, with being in executive roles, et cetera, right? And, and so I, I get a lot of responses to my content. And in some cases, I get comments that show up and they're quite good and telling, and then they get deleted because it's the person who it really resonated with, but they're not quite at that point where they want to leave it. So, but again, yeah. you get those folks who are more in buttoned up industries, but I did a post the other day called must be nice, right? And it's because of some of the critiques that I get about, well, this guy's out climbing mountains and doing this other stuff. When's he actually working? Well, the reality is I manage my time very well. And just because I'm posting it now doesn't mean it's in real time, spoiler, right? So, but, but, but sharing these things, it's like, yes, I work hard and I manage my PTO and I manage all of these things. And I even start to share how I'm operationalizing things within short, short timeframes by having base fitness level, um, having planning dialed in, doing planning while my wife is watching a show on Netflix and I'm sitting there with her. I'm probably doing topo analysis on my phone, right? And so you see people start to add in the comments. And I found that by posting more of that content, to your guys's point, I've seen more folks, and it's certainly not restrictive to a certain age group or, or gender or anything like that. But you know, I'm seeing more folks in their late 30s into their into their 40s and even in their 50s who are saying, "Hey, yeah, I don't want my life to be at a four. Maybe I do want it to be at a seven. And because you're doing these things, why can't I have my life be at a seven too and still work, take care of my responsibilities to my family and my retirement and, and everything else, but, but do all of these types of things. So I think that LinkedIn's a really good Trojan horse for that. I'm starting to find that I'm getting a lot more full suit professional headshots that are clicking on some of my stuff and saying, good job. This is really cool. You're doing stuff that I talk about doing when I'm retiring. 
Yeah, but time out. Don't wait till you retire. Start doing some of it now. Figure out how to fit it in to the constraints that you have with the capacity that you have and start operationalizing it. I think one of the big advantages with LinkedIn is that you you're not anonymous. Like you have that that that's the one thing I found on the platform that I think is a huge lever that it'll it'll pay benefits as we go forward. Is that you have to be you. You can't be you know mountain climber 213 commented this or whatever like you've got to be you because you can't hide behind a pseudonym or an emoji or whatever it is it's got to be you so you have to be authentic and people will then put more value in what you're saying because you're putting your butt on the line because it's you you can't hide and i think that lends to a lot more credibility because you can't be someone else that has to be you yeah i think a a lot of the power of LinkedIn is precisely that, is the lack of anonymity. And it does seem that the platform's uh, prejudice in favor of identity is a huge mm. part of why it's not the seemingly the toxic cesspool that, that wow. Twitter and Facebook tend to be. It seems to be the case. I, I think that's also why all of us keep getting suspended all the time. I think is that like... <laughs> Um, what do you mean all of us? I haven't been suspended yet. If you want to misbehave and get in trouble, that's your problem. I was going to say that, that you have big creator problems, Tony. I don't have those problems either. Well, it, happened, it happened to me for the, well, it happened to me for the first time, like two weeks ago. I was like, oh, this is, this is stupid. Um, <laughs> but, um, well, I want to, and I want to be mindful of your time, but I, I did want to piggyback off what we've been talking about to ask both of you something I don't know the answer to, which is, so you, I tend to think about content in, in being sort of intent buckets. You've got stuff that's more educational or informational. You got stuff that's more like inspirational. And, you know, like the two of you, I would definitely put, there's, there's, stuff that's in that inspirational bucket. Like you, the two of you come across, we've been talking about inspiration for the last 45 minutes. Um, do you have a goal? Like, do you have something you're trying to make happen through your content game? And Paul, I think, I think your answer to this is easier to decipher. Whereas Tyler, I, I mean, Tyler, you make it sort of your brand that like, I'm just, as my father would say, a dog chasing cars, right? But I, I am wondering whether, you know, and I, I, frankly, I think that's part of why we've gotten along is that, you know, I've now pivoted over the last couple of months to aiming what I'm doing at lawyers. But for the first 10 months I was doing this, I was a dog chasing cars where I was just trying to get good at the game. So my content would show up in the feeds of nonprofit leaders so when I DM the leaders asking for a meeting, they're at least more likely to respond to the message, right? Because they know me through my content and it was really effective for that. But throughout that time, I didn't, I wasn't trying to, to bring about any particular result. Now I am where I'm like funnelizing what I'm doing. And, and it's, it's been interesting to get into that game and find myself getting like pulled into the vortex of, do I really have to? write about how to do LinkedIn well. Like it's just, I, I do it more now because I, I get, it's sort of my job, but I'm interested in your take on, on that. Tyler, 
what are you doing? So I think my LinkedIn strategy is a bit less evolved than, than yours, certainly, and what you've done with marketing your book and also how you've developed businesses and made a transition based off of that. I think I'm probably still chasing cars to some extent. Um, I've received a few inquiries about coaching and consulting opportunities. I want to make sure that when I decide to maybe take on some of that on the side, that it's going to be the right fit and be the right value. I think maybe that's a little of my, my Midwest humility that I've been here for a couple of years and I haven't really asked for anything necessarily. I've just tried to develop a brand. And so at some point, if I decide that there's something that's the right thing, you know, there will be enough credibility there that there will hopefully be demand for whatever it is that I decide to do where I can add true value and not just put something out for revenue. I could care less about pipeline on the platform. I hope at some point there's a, a, a value to, to pipeline proposition that will then the consequence of that would be revenue. Um, but I do have a project that's pretty advanced stage planning now that um, I've been working on for a little while, and, and it's kind of along the same lines of what you've talked about, Tony, with um, putting together like more comprehensive LinkedIn in real life type of events. And, and obviously with in a space like mine or, or Paul's, there would be an adventure feel to that. So I've been working with a licensed outfitter and professional services consultancy to design a trip that would be supported through that consultancy, mm. but would essentially be tailored around LinkedIn types of folks who from creative and but also outdoorsy and physical fitness to get together to do a, a short expedition. So I have something planned for and I haven't provided a whole lot of information. I think I put a little bit of a teaser in a recent post about it, but looking to do something in the weekend after the 4th of July over the course of a long weekend out of Butte, Montana, where it'll be people can sign up for this event. It'll have elements of, of coming in, doing a military decision-making process and risk assessment, all supported by former special operations veterans and advisors that are assigned. So putting former special ops vets to work and working through a small veteran-owned business, right? And so there'll be an element of, of nightlife and socializing as a, a LinkedIn in real life event would be in, in the old West. And then it would be a short expedition out into the tobacco root mountains with an attempt on a 10,600 foot peak. But of course, programming in enough downtime so that there's time for more socializing, selfies, all of that type of stuff that would come with a LinkedIn group around the campfire. And then coming back in, having another evening and, and then heading out. So that's something that I'm going to be providing more information on very soon. And, and hopefully we can bring a lot of cool dynamics together as far as like corporate consultancy type of advice, things that are used within high performance Fortune 500s, as well as that military special operations skill set, mindset, dynamic type of stuff. And then obviously the the selfie and the selfie friendly part of it of, of LinkedIn and I mean, it, imagine the possibilities getting, you know, five, 10, 15 people together around a campfire and being able to tag all those folks and, and really enjoy the outdoors and some social and nightlife together. That's awesome, man. That's, that is so good. And what I want to highlight there is, so 
creativity being my lane, like how creative that is, that you're taking your, your background in special ops and your background with like expeditions, with climbing mountains, with being out in the wilderness and the content game, like what you've been doing on LinkedIn over the course of the, those two years, you are taking those three different things and combining them in a way that who else could make that happen? Like n- nobody I know could could actually execute on that in the way that you're positioned to do. And it's only by virtue of all the reps you've put in in those three different arenas. It's the time that you've dedicated to all three of those things that's put you in a position to execute on it in a way that that's really fucking exciting. Can I curse on this podcast? I mean, it's my yeah, podcast. Yeah. But one to, and to take it a step further, Tony. So the, the owner of, of this consulting firm, it's, it's Asmuth Consulting. His name is Chris Schmidt. He and, act, he and I actually got connected through liking some similar posts. And I think we did some views back and forth. So we've gotten to the point where we touch base with each other pretty regularly because I'm interested in some of the things that he's doing with Fortune 500 consulting as well. But then we have some some commonality, me coming from combat arms in the army and him coming from special operations and being a Green Beret and seeing a lot of real alignment there. So it's like, well, I want to do this thing. And I think I have platform reach that we might get some folks who are pumped up and interested in maybe taking part in this. And you can bring together all the licensing and the logistics and all of those other things, but maybe we can get a new pipeline of folks coming your way. And then, you know, so there's all that benefit there in the offering that they provide. Plus I help design to design it around, you know, I guess our little corner of LinkedIn and what I think would work for that type of group. And then I guess the, the added, whether it's benefit or, or curse of it is that that particular trip I'll be there as well. Yeah. That, that's awesome, man. That's so cool. Um, and Paul, how about you? Back to the question about uh, what you're up to or what's your goal. I was just going to say, with Tyler's stuff, A, that's awesome. B, I think people underestimate the sheer volume of work it takes to put something like that together. Yeah. But I think that's the ideal example of the whole purpose of the platform in the first place. Like it's easy to get lost in LinkedIn to think that the purpose is to get the likes and the, the interaction, all that kind of stuff. The purpose is to meet really fascinating people, create new things and go out and make shit happen in the real world. Like that's, I think, the whole point of the platform in the first place. So it's important to come from a place of understanding that the goal has nothing to do with like the end of the end goal isn't on the platform. The end goal is off the platform and out actually making stuff happen in the real world for real people. Um, so that's why I think that's that idea is so awesome. It's such a good example of how that works. Um, for me, I've kind of had a couple of evolutions. Like I think for the first couple of months, no content strategy at all. Just I've got content and I'll put it out there. And then you're trying to think about, well, who am I trying to reach? Like as a speaker, are you trying to reach agents? because that's a different message or you're trying to reach businesses. That's a different message. Like I talk to schools, I talk to boards, I talk to business, I talk to everyone. So who do you design the message for and tailor it for? So for me, I reached a point going, worry less about the individual you're trying to reach 
and put out the stuff that you want to talk about so that when they come to you and go, that really resonated and I want you to come talk to us, you're talking about something that you're actually really passionate about versus oh, I, I angled it and presented this because I knew you'd love it and now you want me to come and talk about that, but it's not really my exact lane because I've, I've tailored it and shaped it to make you feel good about it. So for me, kind of the Christmas New Year's period was really about building a, a much better content strategy about what I'm putting out and, and the media that I'm using and the message that I'm putting out there to resonate with the people who want me to come and talk about the stuff I talk about versus sending out a message that I think they want to hear that'll get me a job and then turn up and they go, oh, you're a little different to what I thought we were getting. So I said back to that, that authenticity of have a structure about what you're talking about know what you're talking about, know why you want to talk about it. And then the people you need will find you or you can reach out to them. And we all know what we're doing and who's getting what. And then you're going to really love the work because they want your work because it's really your work. Um, and that's kind of my focus going forward now is have a much better strategy about how I deliver that content and make it really high value. But don't stress as much about trying to target it and, and, and funnel it and, and do those kind of things. Um, I'm still building that body of work and that 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 depth of you know, range within the platform. Right on. Gentlemen, this this is officially going to be the longest episode of In Linky Land. So mission accomplished. On, yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, but also, I, I have succeeded in refraining from going full Rogan and seeing if we could roll for four hours. Um, so I'll be including the links to your LinkedIn profiles on the show notes for this. Um, Paul, I will also be including the link to your site, paulwatkins.com.au. Anywhere else that you want to direct people to, to learn more about you or what you do? No, that's fine. If you, if you hit up that website, you can find all my links to my socials and bits and pieces. Um, but no, that's that's the best place to find me. Or you know, LinkedIn. That's where I have a lot of these conversations, and I really enjoy that conversation. So um, yeah, feel free to hit me up there and have a chat, or see what we talk about. Cool, Tyler. I'm pretty much on LinkedIn again. I'm probably the most bootleg creator out there right now. It's 99% from my phone and <laughs> I usually open the app, bang something out. So I, I'm one with the people with the grammatical errors and, and the, the shoddy, the shoddy um, photography, but maybe that's my nod to authenticity. It, and you, you do it so well, my man. <laughs> um, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we managed it. This is one I had circled in my little brain for a while and it uh it delivered so thank you both for for the time and and for what you do you really do inspire me so it was it was cool to be able to do this thank you so much for thank doing the opportunity tony really appreciate it yeah of course all right thank you for listening uh, as i said You'll find their LinkedIn profiles as well as Paul's book in the show notes for this episode. I also have a book in the creative arena. You can get it on Amazon. I'll put that in the show notes as well, just so you got it. I want to make sure that you can find what you need. And otherwise, I'll see you out there in Lincoln Land. Till next week. <laughs>